I said I fun mean, tidbits. Fun tidbits. Yeah, tidbits, you, tidbits, you tidbits. Would. You would. <laughs> right in the tiddly bits. All right, you ready to do this, yo? I'm just giving you all this gold before we even start. I know. It's fantastic. Hi, and welcome to The Improvement Project, a podcast about dabbling in self-improvement 30 days at a time. Today, we will discuss creating a trigger to build a new habit. I'm Dr. Peggy Malone, a healthcare provider and human being trying my best to be better and encouraging others to do the same. I'm in London, Ontario, Canada, and with me is my much more disciplined friend, Jenny. Aw, thanks, Peg. I'll take it. That's me, Jenny Kaus, a marketing professional from St. Thomas, Ontario. I'm a small town gal and a big believer in the power of habits. I will do my best to whip our guinea peg into shape and hold her accountable to habit changes that she will undertake one month at a time. I'll be playing along too as we take on a new habit each month. We hope to inspire you to become more disciplined, more consistent, happier, healthier, more productive, and overall your own best self. So the challenge, one month, the challenge, this is it. So one month of making your bed every day, flossing your teeth every day, and drinking 75 ounces of water every day. And for those who remember, that was your body weight in pounds divided by two to calculate how much water to drink every single day. So that is the challenge that our guinea peg has taken on for this first month. How is it going? Well, we're one week in. And also before I talk about how it's going for me, I do want to reiterate that if you're playing along at home, listeners, pick one of those things. Pick making your bed, (laughs) pick flossing your teeth, pick drinking the water. Doing all three potentially could be a challenge. Uh, uh, You'll listen in now as I I tell you how things are going for me. So uh, the making the bed and the flossing, perfect score every day. I did them. Good for you. Small moment of applause. Thank you. So, um, yeah, the making the bed is pretty key. That's sort of, I don't feel normal unless the bed is made. The flossing I've had to work a little bit hard at, uh, which I'll discuss later in this podcast. Um, but right now I want to talk about the water. So I haven't really worked out the right system for this yet. And, uh, I think we need to discuss some options. Maybe that will be helpful. So some days I feel like I'm doing okay. And some days I hardly drink any water. It seems, um, I, last week I talked about the three bottle system, which I, I felt like was a really good idea. And it, for whatever reason, hasn't caught on. It just is not something that my brain okay. wants to do. So I also, though, I have to admit, I have really haven't tried that hard. So <laughs> we maybe need to like work out oh, a different dear. system. Oh, dear. So one day I was very specific about taking notes and writing down the fluids that I drank. So here's how it went. Uh, first thing in the morning, 10 ounces of water, then 16 ounces of coffee, then I did my workout, then 10 ounces of water, probably during my workout, then 16 ounces of coffee, then 16 ounces of water mixed with protein powder. That's sort of my after workout drink. Then okay. another 16 ounces of water. Then later in the day, another eight ounces of water. And then when I got home in the evening, eight ounces of red wine. <laughs> and then I probably had a couple of sips of water here and there. So sure. if we do the tally and total it up, the total amount of fluid for the day was 100 ounces of fluid. And the total amount of fluid minus red wine was 92 (laughs) ounces of fluid. And the total amount of water was 60 ounces. 
So we talked about the fact that my goal was 75 ounces of water on that day, which might have been an average day or might have been a little bit more water that day. But we'll assume it was a little bit more because I was keeping track. And Mm -hmm. when you monitor something, it sort of seems like you do better. That's something we can talk about another time. But that's, I think, a key. Um, Anyway, what I want to talk about for real here, and this is relevant for all of you people who love the coffee like I do. And I think it could also be relevant for people who like to drink tea. You like to drink tea, don't you, Jenny? I drink a ton of green tea. Okay. So caffeinated beverages. So that's what we're talking about. Okay. So uh, I decided to do a little research here because it didn't make sense to me that I was drinking coffee that's mostly water and it wasn't counting towards my fluid intake. I love, I just have to say that you're already (laughs) justifying this by saying it's mostly water. (laughs) Well, it is. You put water into a filter with coffee beans and it makes this delicious brown fluid. But you're right. I'm, it's probably cognitive dissonance and I'm only looking for evidence that supports what I want to happen. And I admit that, but I did find an excellent source. And so I'm going to share it with you. Okay. Okay. So, um, I looked it up on the internet and as we all know, the, everything on the internet is true. Absolutely. 100%. Um, so, but this girl who, um, I got this information from, she actually has some credibility, some street cred. She's a PhD in exercise physiology and she has, um, a certification in international sports medicine, nutrition. So I kind of believe her. I feel like she's probably a good source. Anyways, I, there's she, nothing like that referral. She's probably a good source. <laughs> Well, I haven't spoken to her personally, and I haven't experienced her advice personally, other than what she wrote on this article. By the way, I'm going to link to this article in the show notes for anybody that's interested in this. Great. Um, So uh, she does a a Q&A on this website, and a question from a reader was, I drink a lot of coffee, but I've been told it's a diuretic, and I shouldn't count it toward my daily fluid requirements. Is this true? That was my question, too. So here's what she said. We've all heard the warning before. Coffee has a diuretic effect. It's dehydrating and it shouldn't count toward your daily fluid intake. Given that most of us who pursue fitness rely on coffee for its pick-me-up effects, are many of us unwittingly contributing to poor athletic performance because we're in a state of chronic dehydration or can it contribute to our daily fluid requirements? Um, And then also, before I go on with what she said, a side note is, uh, and she talks about this a little bit, how much fluid should we actually be drinking? You discussed this already, but last week we said approximately your body weight in pounds divide by two. That's the number of ounces I would recommend to my patients to drink in a day of water. Okay. What she says is that females should be aiming for 90, ounce of fluid, 90 ounces of fluid per day and hmm. males should be aiming for 125 ounces of fluid per day. And then she had like an, a full paragraph with the whole you know, things will be different based on activity levels and body size and body composition and the weather and all the rest of it. But that's a good, uh, you know, 90 ounces of fluid for women, 125 ounces for men. So it's approximately within a certain distance with what I said. So I think we're okay. Um, Then she goes on to say that some say that for every coffee you drink, you should drink an extra glass of water to compensate. Is all that extra hydrating necessary? Then this is how she answers. The quick, the quick answer is no. Results from several studies suggest that coffee, when consumed in moderation, about four cups a day, by caffeine-habituated individuals, provides hydrating qualities similar to water. Additionally, wow, uh, wow right, right, right. 
Additionally, a study published in the Journal of the American College of Nutrition, which compared the effects of consuming equal amounts of water to caffeinated cola and coffee, found no adverse effects of coffee consumption on hydration status. All this simply means is that coffee can count toward your daily fluid goals, as it does not lead to dehydration. And the caveat is in caffeine-habituated individuals. So you and I probably could be considered that based on the fact that we drink caffeinated beverages every day. Yes. So, I mean, you must have been very relieved to hear this. Yeah. I feel fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I bet. And, of course, um, I'm going to go on to, you know, give the cautionary tale about the fact that this just doesn't mean that you can stop drinking water and just go straight to coffee all day every day. So, um I think there's something to be said for uh, having some water in there as well. Absolutely. Anyway, so the one thing that my nerd brain really appreciated about this article was uh, she talked about where does this coffee dehydrates you myth come from? Because all of us have heard that. You've heard it, right? Absolutely. Right. I've heard it about tea as well. Right. So what she says, and again, she's a PhD, so I'm going to believe that she's had some education and she's like, you know, had some critical thinking skills that have um, allowed her to come to this conclusion. Um, she says that my guess is that all this all started with earlier studies that found that coffee increased urine output. The problem with these studies is that they only measured urine production two to four hours after consumption, consumption, failing to look at the 24 hour picture. They didn't compare the effects of drinking coffee to drinking water or other non-caffeinated beverages, or they used ridiculously high doses of caffeine in one sitting. So um, long story short, you can count coffee toward your daily fluid intake. Woohoo! Oh, this is good news. This is good news. So if you go back to my, um, what I described earlier as my tally of the amount of fluid that I drank on that day, if you include the coffee and you take out the wine, I was still at 92 ounces. So yes. pretty good. I think. Not too bad at all. So just to be clear though, the, the wine does not count. That counts against you. Well, I'd have to do some more research to figure out <laughs> if I can add wine to it. <laughs> at this point, For I'm now. not adding wine. <laughs> Fair. It makes sense to me that alcohol is a diuretic and you probably should um, keep that one on the lower side. Sure. And there's lots of studies to back that up. (laughs) All right. So um, when it comes to this, this coming week, as I'm working on this challenge, yes, I'm being a little bit flippant and talking about the fact that, um, you know, I'm going to drink more coffee. I'm not going to drink more coffee. I'm just not going to worry so much about getting all those extra ounces of water in when I already have you know, 15 or 20 or 30 ounces of coffee in a day. And actually that day when I had 16 times two, that was more than I usually drink. I usually have about 16 ounces, like two, two good mugs of coffee in the morning is what I'll drink. And, uh, and I'm going to count them towards my fluid intake now. Good on you. Um, so my, for the, to, to make it a bit objective so that we we've got it down, uh, 80 to 100 ounces of fluids per day, including no more than 20 ounces of coffee. That's what I'm giving myself as measurable, measurable uh, uh, objective for this week. And uh, I also am going to really focus on chugging 16, 16 ounces of water in the morning before I'm allowed to have my first coffee. Okay. So what are you predicting? How do you think this is going to go? Because if you're having no more than 20 ounces of coffee and you've just said you like to have like a big coffee in the morning... And then another one. Well, the second, I usually have two and that's eight and eight, right? So I usually don't have, I don't have the second one on that day last week. It was, you know, it was just one of those days where occasionally I'll have a second coffee. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. Sounds good. I'll be interested to hear next week how it's going. All right. Um, 
anything else that you want to add to uh, to how this challenge is going? Well, by the way, you're my, uh, you know, you're the girl who's poking me with a stick, but are you playing yes. along? Tell me about your water consumption. My water consumption has been decent. I'm continuing to, uh, with with the way I do it, right? Where I get up, I drink one in the shower right away. The shower water. I, the, shower, the shower water, which probably sounds like I just stand in the shower and drink the water coming out, but I actually take a bottle <laughs> of water into the shower with me. Uh, and then I drink one in the car on the way to work. I drink one on the way home from work and usually one with dinner and sometimes one after that as well, depending on what's happening in the evening. For the most part, that's going well. Um, I did this morning almost forget that bottle of water and had to run back and grab it. So, um, but it's because I didn't put it on my bedside table the night before, which is part of what we're going to talk about next, by the way. Yes. So let's get into it. Well, let me just say one more thing. You know how in the introduction to this podcast, I say my much more disciplined friend, Jenny, everything that you've just said confirms that. (laughs) Oh, oh my so gosh. I, I, now... I don't realize I'm a nerd until I say things out loud. <laughs> I, it's been, and then it's, yes, oh it's definitely confirmed and I feel re-inspired to drink more water based on that. So thank you, Jenny. <laughs> well, you know, anything I can do, exposing my nerdiness, if it helps you, then it's worth it. You got it. All right. Now it's time for a segment we like to call Habits Corner. That's what we've decided on, I think. And uh, in this segment, we discuss a strategy or some research or an article we read that relates to habits or behavior change. And this week, we're going to talk about creating a cue or a a trigger to create uh, a new habit or to better take on a new habit. So what are habit triggers? A trigger is defined as an event that kicks off the automatic urge to complete a habit. Triggers are the key to forming new habits and breaking old ones. Simply put, triggers make the habit action happen. A trigger can be anything in our environment which our brains associate with a habit. These contextual factors, such as where we are, who we are with, and what just happened, have a powerful and invisible effect on our behavior. Every time a trigger precedes a habit, our brains strengthen the association between the habit and its trigger. This association associative process is described in neuroscience as Hebbian learning and is summarized by, and I love this, neurons that fire together, wire together. As oh, an dear. Asso- <laughs> is, is that just because I'm a nerd that I love that? Or you love it too, right? Um, yeah, it's kind of great. Neurons that fire together, wire together. As an association between a habit and a trigger increases, the habit becomes more and more ingrained until we can perform our habits on full-on autopilot. And for good habits, that's what we want. So we want to learn about the triggers that are going to help us to build good habits. So why are the triggers important? As the trigger habit association strengthens, the habit becomes more automatic. Over time, it'll be easier and easier to stick to this new habit. So some different ways you can do this. You can use events, you can use time, you can use location, and you can use other people as triggers to help you build new habits. So events. Things that happen every single day, like waking up, brushing your teeth, eating a meal, driving to work, taking a shower, walking your dog, etc. What I mentioned earlier was the drinking water in the shower, which I know a lot of people find strange, but it is something that I'm doing and I'm in there. And especially if you're washing your hair and you say, put the conditioner on and you're waiting for it to work, whatever magic you're hoping it works in that time, great chance to drink a little bit of water while you're in there Uh, as well. Brushing your teeth 
attaching your flossing habit to your evening tooth brushing. So you're taking as we were talking before about me um, drinking the water before I have my coffee, the having the coffee, we could consider that an event. And so associating those two things together. Absolutely. So I think that tying it in helps you remember. And then it's not like this whole separate thing that you're doing. You're just combining it to something that's already a habit to strengthen it, which I think is great. Yeah. My, uh, one of my online pretend best friends, Gretchen Rubin, uh, she calls that the strategy of pairing. So you pair one Ah. habit with another, or I I guess in this case, it could be pairing the habit with the event. Nice. Alrighty. So, uh, the second trigger is time. Uh, so a specific time of day, you can set an alarm, uh, for a certain time. And then when it goes off, that's the trigger to perform a certain habit. So, Let's say that you wake up in the morning and at some point, let's say it's 6.30 a.m., you get a notification from your phone and that's when you sit down to meditate. So that's how you can use time as a trigger. Absolutely. And this is one that I actually had to start for myself today because now that we are into this nice summer weather, I've realized I have not been good at putting sunscreen on my son before school. So I've set a little alarm in my phone to go off at eight o'clock when we're getting ready for the bus that reminds me I need to put sunscreen on him. Perfect. So that's well, a good example of time. And also, weren't you saying that um, uh, you also noted that because it's really light outside at night, you kind of lose track of time and then bedtime is like, whoa, it's time for bed. You uh, could use it that doing that as well. tonight. Yes, that happened tonight, <laughs> which is why I'm sitting in and amongst uh, several thousand pieces of Lego. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes. Oh, Terrible. dear. These are These are the challenges of little people. Awesome. <laughs> All right. What's our next trigger, Jenny? Location. So I just mentioned I'm sitting in a giant pile of Lego, but let's disregard that. <laughs> so location can be a powerful driver of automatic habits. In many cases, our behavior is simply a product of our surrounding environment. All of our familiar locations have habits, good and bad, associated with them. If we want to build new habits in these locations, we need to overwrite the triggers that already exist there. Build a good habit by placing something necessary to complete the good habit somewhere you'll see it, i.e. a post-it note on the mirror to help you remember to floss. Break a bad habit by avoiding the location where you take part in that habit. So someone who smokes, if you smoke it on your balcony, stay away from the balcony. If you snack when you look in the pantry, avoid the pantry. Uh, That is one for me, definitely. Um, Something Mm -hmm. in my experience was when I started flossing, um, I actually did put a post-it note on my mirror. Um, I, I put one on there that actually said floss. However... I did, <laughs> I did spend a little bit of time making it a very artfully done post-it so that I wasn't bothered by having like a, you know, a random post-it note stuck a, to your mirror, a random post-it note. It was very fancily done. I had some little fun, you know, tarting it up and uh, it was a nice reminder and it made me happy to look at as well. Uh, and that when I was in that first month of flossing, it was a great reminder every day. Uh, and I really wanted to get that post-it down and off the mirror because even though it looked nice, I didn't really want to have a post-it on my mirror for a very long time. And ironically, one of my friends uh, snagged that post-it afterwards to use it for herself to get her habit going. Oh, you uh, paid it forward with the post-it note. I love it. I did. I was surprised that someone would want my bathroom post-it note, but hey, 
if it, whatever works, I think that that's great. And I think the other thing, uh, I have another little tidbit about location. There is in, I don't know about Android, but I know an iPhone, you can set a reminder on your phone that goes off, not just at a time, but it'll go off at a location. So say when you get to work and you're in the parking lot, if you had a habit that was tied to that, you could get a reminder to hit when you get somewhere. Anywhere. So, and then your phone would have to have location services on associated with that app in order Absolutely. for it to work, right? That's so pretty cool, actually. It would be cool. Like if you got home, you know, this time of year, maybe it's water your plants, something like that. So you can have technology help you with these. There's ways to boost that. There's an app for that. Yes. Well put. <laughs> All right. Number four is other people. Uh, they say you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with or the five people that you surround yourself with. So other than genetics, your peers are the primary predictors of your personality and your behavior. So it's likely that you'll take on similar habits to the people that you hang out with the most. So if you want to change your habits, you need to uh, get your significant other on board. Uh, and that's key. And that sometimes is a challenge for people. And I think maybe in an upcoming episode, we'll talk about some strategies associated with that, because I think that's a in, in my practice, working with patients, that's one that's really difficult for a lot of people is to, to get their significant other on board. Um, so there's some strategies you can work around if, if that is a challenge for you. Um, okay, I have a side question for oh, you. Oh, sure. What is it? Is John doing any of these? Oh, uh, no. Is <laughs> well, he actually, John in doing any of these? <laughs> that's a really good question. John and I have a deal about making the bed. Whoever is out of bed uh, second has to make the bed. Ooh. So 99.9% of the time, it's me. Nice. <laughs> so I make the bed every day. He, well, he starts work at 4am. So ah, it's not unusual that he, he's out of bed before me. But even on days when it's the weekend or whatever, it's almost always that I'm second out of bed. So I make I make the bed. You would really have to hate making the bed to get up before him through the week. Yeah, that's right. Make him make the I'm bed. Getting out Maybe of bed you could just get out. 3.45 a.m. And then he's going to make the bed and then I'm just going to crawl in on top of the made bed. Yes, I would do that. Definitely. Well, I might do that. I'm going to consider that. Yeah, you should. <laughs> um, yeah. And in terms of the water, he actually is really good at drinking water. So um, I and I don't know if he would actually think about measuring it, but um I guess I could encourage him to do these things. That might be a whole other challenge altogether. <laughs> you might have to come flossing? with that up in, in the next months to come. Is, like, what about flossing? Is John actually have all this figured out and we're just catching up to him? I would say no is the answer to that. <laughs> so flossing, we'll that but maybe he has some things figured out and I just let's, haven't caught on to what he's doing. Let's give him a solid maybe. We'll give him a benefit of the doubt. All right. Maybe we can get his input on this in the uh, in next episode. Yes. <laughs> Oh, so here's the other thing. So when we talk about um, other people uh, being associated with habits and triggers for habits, if you have people in your life in your life that are participating in habits that you would like to avoid, then it's probably going to be a good idea for you to avoid those people as you try to change your habit. And that's something that's hard for people to recognize sometimes. Uh, but they say that the people uh, like when you have a group of people, they eat the same, they drink the same, they probably have the same financial uh, budgeting habits. So a group of people is likely to make around the same amount of money. They're likely to weigh around the same. They're likely to eat the same healthy or not healthy foods. They're likely to drink the same amount of alcohol. So there's something really to be said about taking a look around and going, are these the habits that I want to participate in? And if they are, 
fantastic. You've picked some great people. And if they aren't, then it's maybe time to rethink that the people that you surround yourself with. Wow. Yeah, that would be an eye opener. Definitely. It's part of the reason why when people join the gym and they have a really fantastic group of people at the gym that they really like to hang out with, that those people have the same habit. And then it reinforces as a trigger, I'm going to go hang out with these people because I like them. We're all doing this Ah. same activity at the gym. We've created this little tribe at the gym. We have a healthy habit associated with those people. This explains CrossFit to me. Exactly. Yes. Now it makes sense. There you go. All right. So if we put all of these things together and we think about building a habit and we can use the example of me drinking more water. Um, and this is something that uh, you, the listener, you can think about this. Think in your mind, what is a habit that you are building or that you would like to build? So for me, it's drinking more water. But in your mind, you can think of whatever that habit might be. So what is the current trigger that sets the habit in motion? So at this point, I've been putting a full glass of water on the bathroom sink at night And then in the morning, when I go into the bathroom and I brush my teeth, I chug the water in the bathroom even before I leave the bathroom so that when I go into the kitchen and pour my coffee, then the two rooms are separate. Like I've already had the water. Ah, that's smart. So that's the way I've been able to do that. Because if I wait till I get into the kitchen and I see the coffee, I'll just go straight for the coffee. True. So that's been helpful. And that the next question is, how can you improve the trigger? And that's how I improved the trigger. Because at first I wasn't drinking it in the bathroom and then that's what I changed. So can you think of any other ways I could improve drinking more water in the morning? I guess we could do what Jenny does. I could, I don't, I don't usually take a shower in the morning because I'm on my way to the gym usually. Yeah. And I'm definitely not on my way to the gym in the morning. (laughs) Well, where our difference is. (laughs) Well, I guess I could, uh, I could drink, uh, more water in the car. But then that I would just, be one way to do it because you have that time, you're driving. What else are you doing, right? You could easily add in an extra. So extra the, one challenge I have with this, and maybe some of our listeners will have this challenge too. I really have to pee all the time. And when I start <laughs> drinking more liquid in the morning like that, then I have to pee so bad by the time I get to the gym that I have to pee halfway through my workout too. Maybe you could run to the gym because you have to pee so badly. <laughs> Yeah, except for the gym is a 30-minute drive from here, so I'm probably not going to run that far. (laughs) Scratch that. (laughs) Maybe, maybe there is a place on your drive where you know you have five minutes left, like a certain landmark, and you see that landmark, and that's when it's time to chug your water. So you're not drinking it you know, the whole way, like say drinking it in the first five minutes of your drive. Maybe you're drinking it in the last five minutes of your drive. Oh, I'm totally going to try this. I'm going to pick a landmark when I'm on my way to work tomorrow, and I'll, I'll report back next week. Okay. Okay. So then when we're thinking about the trigger, we've just thought of some ways to improve my trigger for the water uh, drinking. And then some things to think about when you're creating a trigger for any new habit are, can this trigger be more specific? So instead of saying, I'm going to drink more water, it's, I'm going to drink more water when I see a certain landmark at this time of day on this way to work. Uh, so just making it more specific, it's kind of like that whole thing about making goals more specific, make our trigger more specific, um, more Mm -hmm. consistent. So, um, something that happens every single day. So this is a challenge for me because I don't do that same routine every single day. Whereas your routine is pretty consistent in the morning, isn't it? It is. Yeah. So that probably helps with the drinking water. So maybe I have to find a trigger that's not related to doing the drive to the gym because I don't do that every day. I'm going to have to think about it. I'm going to have to think about it. Maybe whenever you're driving somewhere, when you're close to your destination, that's when you just go all in with the water. So I just have to make sure I always have a full water bottle with me. 
Yes. Okay. Okay. And then you get in the car, full so, bottle of water. You're right. Okay. So then part of the trigger is getting in the car. Yes. Okay. So more specific, more consistent, more automatic and less avoidable. So those are the things to start to think about with the trigger. So I would definitely think about those things. And I think even just what we've discussed is going to give me some ideas. Yeah. And also, can this trigger be combined with a trigger from a different category? So um, event, can't have the coffee until I drink the water. A time, set an alarm so that at a certain time I chug the water. So that, that I could do that. I have heard about that. And I think, did we talk about this? Oh, we talked about this last podcast? week that I saw the bottle that lights up at a certain time yes. to tell you to drink. And I mean, this is one too. We are talking about setting an alarm on your phone. This could be, you know, I know I used to do this with making sure that I got up from my desk to walk around a little bit, you know, setting a a reminder. So you could do something similar, say every two hours on your phone, a little reminder just to keep it top of mind. Yeah. Well, it's like I I tell my patients every day in my office that they need to set an alarm and then stand up and wiggle every like at least twice an hour, if not four times an hour, just to get a little bit of a different stimulus so that they're not they can avoid doing all the sustained sitting. It was probably you that I created. (laughs) You're probably the one that told me that. Oh, well, you're welcome. I created that reminder. You're welcome, Jenny. Well, before you say you're welcome, I did shut the reminder off. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Uh, We need to work on that. Yes, we do. All right. And then uh, location. So I could have water glasses or water bottles in more convenient locations. So just like we talked about in the car, around the house, I if I see the water bottle or a glass of water, I might be more likely to have a drink. So I guess using location um, or when you're at a certain location, as you described, uh, drinking more water. And also, and- uh, also other people is the last category. So asking other people to check in or texting somebody at a certain time of day, maybe creating an accountability partner that also wants to drink more water and then checking in occasionally to say, Hey, how much water have you had today? I think that's so effective because I think if you know that someone's going to ask you, you're going to try and be on top of it, especially if they're doing well with it. It really works to have that accountability. And that is specific to I know this about my personality. I need that external accountability. If I know somebody's going to ask me, I'm way more likely to do something. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. I like it. Let's, let's like move it. on. I feel like I've got some things to work on. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get after it. This week is going to be a little bit different. Good. All right. Next up, who are you anyway? In this segment, we explore what makes you tick. The more that you know yourself, the easier it will be to take on new habits and stick with them. Today's who are you anyway question. Do you like the same routine over and over again? Or do you like to mix it up? I know. What about you, Jenny? I know for sure. And this has become, uh, you know, as we've been talking about habits more, I've been trying to really recommit some of the ones that I've been slacking on. And I have realized that as much as I love habits, and I mean, it's obvious that I do, you know, we're, we're podcasting about habits. I love habits but I don't really like routine. And I don't think I realized that there was a difference. I find that I do get bogged down by every day starting to feel the same. And that can happen with habits where you're doing the same things every day. And that's great. It leads to awesome things, but it can also really lead to every day feeling the same. So I have realized that I really like variety. So I need to find a way to change up certain habits that might be more difficult for me so that I don't feel like it's drudgery. So an example of this for me would be um, when I was really on top of my physical fitness habits, 
that began to feel like drudgery because that is one that I don't enjoy as much. So I had a a little grouping of exercises that I was doing every day and that on top of my other habits, it just started feeling like drudgery. And I've realized I need to do something to mix it up. So something I'm thinking about trying is uh, an app that gives you, like I've heard of this, like 8Fit and these different ones that give you a different little grouping of exercises each day so that you're mixing it up and that it's not the same. So you could be doing it at the same time every day, but it's not the exact same thing. So I'm realizing I love habits and I love the result that they have in my life, but the habitual part of them can kind of get me down. I like a lot of variety. I like surprise in life and the habits can run contrary to that. So that is what I'm learning about myself through habits. Okay. So it's kind of like you, you you keep the, the habits, the habit of the thing is there. It's just changing up the thing a little bit occasionally for some variety. Yeah, got to have a little variety. All right. Well, the one thing that, that um, before I tell you sort of where I'm at with this, um, when I knew, I, we talked about this a little bit, and I knew you had said that. And um, in terms of habits or routines, routines in your case, I think, feeling like drudgery, um, another one of my online pretend best friends is um, Tim Ferriss, uh, who has a podcast that's pretty interesting. And that's one we've, we've bonded over. Yes, um, absolutely. And he uh, has some advice for people who are ambitious, um, but see routines as an undesirable daily grind. So kind of like Mm -hmm. what you've described. Yes. So his advice is don't avoid routine. Instead, reframe. So this is potentially what what, uh, you could add to what you're discussing or what you were thinking about in terms of the drudgery is the reframe. So reframe your routines as a positive constraint that allow you to avoid decision fatigue and allocate your brain power and creative competitive advantage to the things that actually matter. So he has a quote from W.H. Auden and the quote is this. Routines should be seen in the intelligent man as a sign of ambition. Instead of seeing routines as undesirable daily grinds, to reframe routines and rituals as scaffolding around which you can craft your best life. Ooh, I like that. So when I heard that, because I tend to uh, be less disciplined, which I think we've already established, (laughs) and I typically resist the idea of routine, uh, but when something actually gets locked in and it becomes a part of my world, I find that it just really helps me to put on my best game in life. So I know that it's important for me to try and create more routine. And this quote, there was something about it that really stuck. I was like, okay, yes, the scaffolding that you can craft your best life around. There's something about that that's powerful. That is excellent. And that makes me feel a lot better about it. Um, I wish I could remember the, the name of the movie, but there is a movie with Will Ferrell and he has the same routine every day and he plays an accountant. And do you know what movie I'm talking about? No, you said Will Ferrell and I was like, old school. (laughs) No, that's not it. (laughs) He plays, it's a really, really interesting movie. Oh, it's called Stranger Than Fiction. Oh yes, I know that one, yeah. Yes, and his life just, you know, the way he's narrating through it and it made me think about that. And that's, I think I go there in my mind. But when that quote that you just read 
I like the way that he frames it as it's the architecture. And I know when life gets busy and I get out of my routines, things do feel like they're spiraling out of control at a fast rate. And I know if I get back into my routines, it's easy to pull yourself back into some stability and things not feeling like they're totally out of control. So I, I think that framing it as architecture is genius. That makes total sense. It feels like the stability of a well-built building, right? It's like, I go back to this comfort of my routine. Yes, absolutely. Really good one. Okay. So who are you anyway? Who am I anyway? I would say that I, as much as I resist routine, uh, I continue to want to come back to them based on the fact that the more routine I have, the better I perform. I, I think that I really do like to mix it up too much. So it's hard for me to say. I'm kind of a little bit of each. I'm working towards being someone who loves routines. Let me say that. Okay. Okay. And what about you listeners? What uh, Do you like to have the same routine every day or do you like to change it up? Share some examples with us by sending us an email at theimprovementproject at drpeggymalone.com or have your say in the Facebook group. On Facebook, search for The Improvement Project and ask to join the group and we can discuss. Our next segment is called You Win or You Learn. And this in this segment, we sort of talk about things that uh, helped us to have big wins or things that allowed us to have an opportunity for learning. And this week I get the win. Here's my win for this week. I didn't really want to floss my teeth and I did every single day. I did. And I have to admit that a lot of the reason for it was the accountability that was created by saying it here on this podcast. So thank you, Jenny. And thank you listeners. I'm flossing my teeth. My, uh, Oral health is uh, much better already, and I appreciate uh, your accountability. Excellent. Well done. Do you think it's going to be easy to stick with? Uh, I think that it's not going to be easy, but I think that I'll do it. Good for you. I hope I that it gets awesome. to the point like you when you got rid of the post-it known is just locked in. I'm not there yet. Yeah, absolutely. It's nice when it's just part of it and you're not even thinking about it anymore. Yeah. So... I'm, I'm talking and going on here because I'm avoiding because mine was not. <laughs> Jenny, what was your learning experience for this week? <laughs> well, how do you know? How do you know it was learning and not winning? <laughs> it, okay. It was a learning. It was not a winning. This week I have, I think you and I were talking about it, maybe not on the podcast, but we've been talking about it. I have fallen out of the habit of meditating daily. And it is, that is a habit that I had a really strange time getting going with, but once I was doing it, oh, wow, did I ever feel the benefits? And I'm talking about using a meditation app, um, sitting down and, you know, five minutes in the morning, nothing huge. This isn't, this isn't half an hour transcendental. Like this is five minutes with a meditation app. And I have been trying really hard and I scored five out of seven. And I was thinking about it and I, when I set the out for the week, I was thinking, how hard can this be, um, to meditate for five minutes in the morning? Uh, so what I was, what I did was I set my alarm, okay. but I set it on the opposite corner of the house. And so that I would have to get up and get out of bed because I was being lazy and I was attempting to meditate while lying down in my bed still, which just led to me falling back asleep. So it was so like a snooze, essentially, it, instead of yes. instead of a meditation. It was a very Zen snooze. And <laughs> so I set the alarm and I put it on the opposite corner of my house in our office. And so I would wake up in the morning and it, it was to a song and I 
So I'm trying to shut this alarm off because I don't want it to wake up my five-year-old son because if that wakes him up, meditation time is done. Absolutely. He's not having that. So I set this alarm. I ran across the house. So I did this two days in a row. It, It did get me out of bed. Um, I am someone who has low blood pressure as a baseline. Oh no. Did you fall down? I definitely saw sparkles. Oh no. Because I mean, darting up out of bed and running immediately, not ideal. And on the third (laughs) day, (laughs) this was not a good, a good trigger. Um, so on the third day. We're going to have to work on this trigger for you. Oh, this was bad. This was bad. So the, (laughs) it gets worse. Oh dear. Uh, so the third day, I had set my alarm for 5.30, but I woke up at 4.30 because I think my brain was freaked out. This b- bizarre thing was going to happen again where, you know, my body would be woke up by this need to run across the house. So I woke up early. I think my body was afraid. So I was up way too early and then was tired and fell back asleep. So that was not, that is not a good way for me to do it. But what I did find, so this is where the learn comes in. Okay is that I put my headphones beside the bed oh. and I found a I found a way I can do this. I wake up and I just get out of bed and I sit on the ground beside my bed and I put on my headphones and do it. So I'm not walking across the house and making noise and sprinting. Passing out, getting a concussion by whacking your head against the wall. This is a much better scenario. So I'm just sitting beside the bed five minutes and I think for the for the next little bit, that's what I'd like to do is, is work on just getting up and doing five minutes. I mean, ideally I prefer 10, but until I can get the, the habit and the structure of this going, I'm going to just aim for five. I'm going to start small and work up to it because it makes such a big, have you been meditating? I haven't been lately. I know that again, it was one of those habits that was very lovely and it's on our list for a challenge coming up in a couple of months. So I will be be getting back into it. Uh, and it will be, we'll be building in the, the external accountability with the podcast for sure. Yeah. So I think for everybody listening, make sure that it's a responsible trigger. <laughs> so maybe don't wake up and sprint. Okay. Yes. Just, Good advice. Don't wake up and sprint. Tip there for the listeners. Well, let's segue away from that into be kind, being kind to your older self. In this segment, basically what we're going to do is either we're going to have a suggestion for ourselves and for you, the listeners, on ways that you can be kind to your older self. And keep in mind, your older self is you five minutes from now and five years from now and 10 years from now and 20 years from now. So it could be any one of those things that we're paying attention to. And today, uh, Jenny and I are going to share some examples of how we are being kind to our older selves or how recently we have been kind to our older selves. My, okay, so I'm going to admit, and I, I mean, I'm the one here who I'm supposed to be the one who's like got the stuff locked down, but I admit the one that I fell off on a little bit when I was just talking about it was the exercise. I'd like to get back into strength training because strength training is so good for our bodies as we age. And I have fallen off with this one a little bit, but what a great way to be kind to your older self. And this is what I'm thinking about. You know, I'm thinking about it, you know, tomorrow, you know, when I'm out doing yard work and it's a little bit easier and I'm not hurting myself because I have that strength, but also myself at 90, um, when I'm out on my Vespa yes, scooter. Definitely. <laughs> How about you? Uh, well, speaking of, um, 
physical activity. Uh, I played in a basketball tournament recently and uh, on, it was a Friday, Saturday tournament. And on the Friday I played in the game and it was great. I felt fantastic. But after the game, uh, I have a Baker cyst in one of my knees and it blew up and my knee was very painful and swollen. And I was so sad because I wanted to play in the tournament on the next day. And I could have, I could have just toughed it out and just gone after it and just played. But I know that chances are I would have really made a mess of my knee. And so I made a responsible decision and I was kind to my older self and I cheered from the sidelines on the next day. And our team won, which was fantastic. It would have been more fun to be playing, but I know that that game was, you know, it didn't have a lot of gravity. It wasn't an Olympic final. It was an over 40s, over 40 masters women's basketball tournament. So I cheered on my teammates and they did fantastic. And my knee is feeling much better and it's only a few days later. So I think I made the right decision. Good for you. That's awesome. All right. And to you listeners, uh, have you thought about being kinder to your older self? It's one of those things that sometimes people don't necessarily think of. It's something that if you're in a place where you're making a decision about something, whether it's, I don't want to do this workout right now, if you think about yourself two hours from now after the workout is done and you're on with the rest of your day, you can be kind to that older version of yourself. Or as Jenny said, you can be kind to the much older version of yourself that's stronger and fitter and healthier because you've made the decision regularly to do some exercise. So if you haven't thought of being kinder to your older self, we just want to plant that seed for you. And uh, if there's anything that uh, is triggered by that or that resonates with you, we would love to hear about it. So again, you can uh, send us an email or a voice memo or catch us on the socials. Next, why don't we talk about what we're digging lately? So this is where a segment where we talk about what's bringing us value or what we're into, or it could be something that's just completely um, frivolity. So uh, Jenny, what do you got? Well, to me, this segment basically feels like what we would talk at our regular appointments. Yes. And this is usually what we would um, start with as I erupted into your office with what I needed to tell you that day about whatever I was finding fascinating, um, which I sometimes refer to as our Gilmore conversations, because like Gilmore girls, we would get talking very fast. Definitely. So what am I digging? I'm digging a book I'm reading right now. Uh, It is called The Year of Less, and it's by Kate Flanders. And Kate Flanders is someone who I have come across through um, the Minimalist podcast. Uh, I've come across, like, she's one of those people that keeps coming up in different areas, and I'm hearing about her. And she's actually Canadian. And she has written about, she went on a one-year shopping ban. And I don't know if people listen to um, the Young House Love Has a Podcast as well, but they mentioned it because they tried a one-month shopping ban. And I think that this is a really interesting little challenge. Uh, You don't, maybe you don't think you're a big consumer, but the second you try and go a month or like Kate Flanders did a year, you know, this is fascinating to look at what your own patterns are, what your habits are around shopping. So for those that are listening, Jenny, when when she's talking about shopping and consuming, like obviously she bought groceries. So what what are the things that she didn't buy? What what are what it was included in the shopping ban? Just give us sort of the the Coles notes. Let's say clothing, home goods, you know, she could buy groceries and those essentials. And she had made some, uh, you know, there's some exceptions that happen. So for example, running shoes, if you're, you know, if you are an athletic person and you run and your running shoes run out, or (laughs) that's a funny way of saying that, but they wear (laughs) out, 
then you would be allowed to purchase a new pair of running shoes. So she had some rules around it that made sense. Yes. So you can replace, but there was no, you know, it basically There was no frivolity. Yeah. There wasn't. It basically takes away the recreational shopping. And it sounds like from, I'm about halfway through the book and I'm aware of her. I've heard her interviewed uh, through, you know, through the minimalists and they they have a great podcast as well. Um, I've heard her interviewed. I've read a lot of her things before, uh, but I was excited when her book came out because it puts it all together. And there's so many interesting things that come out of kind of removing yourself from the consumer space for a while. And it really makes you look at, you know, to bring it back to habits. Shopping has become a very habitual thing for a lot of people. I know for me, I'll sit down if I'm waiting somewhere, you know, I'll look at my phone, you know, I'll end up if I've gotten an email from chapters that day and I'll start kind of scrolling through whatever links come. So, so I thought that that was an interesting one. I'm, I'm digging that book. So I recommend that. What are you digging? Okay, cool. And also before I tell you what I'm digging, I will uh, include links to everything you mentioned in the show notes, if anybody's interested in what, uh, in what Jenny was talking about there. Um, In terms of what I'm digging um, at the beginning of 2018, uh, we did, cause we talked about this, Jenny, we did our 18 for 18 and that was our, yes. our, basically our goals, 18 things we wanted to do or accomplish in 2018. And when we're about halfway through the year, um, I've got a few of them done, which is cool. And we can talk about some of those things another time. But one of the things on my list was to hire a cleaner to clean my house professionally. And I've never done this before. And today, Dolly, <laughs> Was her is her name and she is fantastic. She came and it's life altering. It was the most amazing money I've ever spent in months and my house is clean and it all brings me to that place of outer order equals inner calm. There's something fantastic about the fact that my house is clean. It smells clean. It's beautiful. I'm excited. So I'm oh, totally wow. digging this and if I knew that I was going to feel like this, I probably would have done it sooner. There's something about... Uh, doing this kind of thing where once you've done it, it's kind of like you were carrying a weight that you didn't know you were carrying until you do it. And then you're like, Oh, I feel amazing. I can breathe better. So, um, Oh, wow. And I, I recognize that not everybody can afford to have a professionally cleaned house, but even if you can do it for a treat once or twice a year, I recommend it. It's amazing. I'm fascinated by this. I've been hearing a lot of people talking about this lady, about this lately, saying that they've gotten someone to clean their house. Some people do it, uh, give a gift of a gift certificate to have this done and save for new parents. Or if someone's ill, I think that's a great thing to do because, you know, for, like you say, for a lot of people, it might not be something that you do for yourself, but perhaps it would be something nice to give as a gift for someone. And I, I think about this all the time because, I, I, I love tidying, like try and stop me, love tidying, but I do not like cleaning. Yeah. I feel like that. I too. just don't. I feel like yeah. that too. And she cleaned. It's amazing. 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 I'm John's excited too. So both of us are, really? why, why didn't we do this sooner? I resisted for a long time. I don't know if I felt funny about somebody coming in the house or if they felt, I felt like they would judge my dirtiness. Um, <laughs> but I now am in a space where I'm like, oh my gosh, like amazing. So, so that's what I'm digging. Very cool. Very cool. And that's it for this episode of the the Improvement Project. Email us or send us a voice memo at theimprovementproject at drpeggymalone.com. Please subscribe to our iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts if you haven't already. 
we would love to connect on the socials. I'm on Instagram at Dr. Peggy Malone and Jenny is on Twitter at jcouse. We also have a Facebook group. Search for The Improvement Project on Facebook to join in on the conversation. Thanks for listening. Now go get to work on improving the most important project that you have. That's you. Until next time, stay focused and get after it. Do you know what my fear was? Was that if we use two pictures of us and it says the improvement project, they're going to think I'm the before and you're the after. <laughs> and I, it's just going to make me so sad for myself. Oh, then definitely. Like, wow, do look how that girl made her life better. Like, wow.